That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. Yo, what's up? Thank you for tuning in today. Thanks to humans for bringing us in. Thanks to you for supporting the show. want to give a little extra shout out to uh, my boy Robbie from Humans. Uh, if you haven't checked out any of their music, please do so. Help support them. Dashumans.com. That's D-A-S-Humans.com. They got all kinds of good tracks on there. Um, quick question for you. What are you using to help support your recovery? Are you doing meetings? Are you doing podcasts? If you're listening to this, it's probably more than likely uh, that you use podcasts as a a component of that. Um, I want to offer you something else, and uh, even better, it's free. Have you checked out the I Am Sober app? Yes, the I Am Sober app. I Am Sober is helping all kinds of people out there just like you get sober and stay sober. And uh, like I said before, best of all, the app is free. Uh, You can get an overview of your sobriety milestones. Uh, You can track how much money you saved and, uh, you know, kind of look back and see how much you were spending. What you do is you plug in a daily amount. I think my daily amount I plugged in, I think I had it originally set to, to 10 bucks and I think I upped it to 20 because I started doing some calculating as I looked at it more. So... If I have mine set at 10 or I'm sorry, $20, um, that would equate to me saving third. I'm looking at the app right now, $30,780. That's over a period of four years, two months and 17 days as of today. So that's a couple of the things that you get when you have the I am sober app in your pocket. You can also get uh, daily motivation. Um, there's a, a little tab for motivation where you can get a quick little, um, you know, something to light a fire under your ass. If you start feeling like, uh, like you're not feeling so good. Um, there's also a support tab. So if you want some help finding uh, support in your area, um, or anywhere at that, um, you can, you can click on that tab too. Um, Here's where you can get the I Am Sober app. You can go to IamSoberApp.com. That's IamSoberApp.com. You can get it there, of course. You can also go to ThatSoberGuy.com. On the right-hand side, there's a couple of links in there uh, for uh, for getting it uh, at the Google Play Store, the Apple Store, um, and, uh, of course, I already mentioned the I Am Sober app uh, website. You can also download it there, too. We're going to get to our guest today, Dr. Nancy Irwin. We had a great conversation. Uh, Dr. Irwin is down in the Southern California area, Los Angeles. Dr. Irwin has a large resume, so I'm going to save that for the intro. Um, Let's get to her right now. Here's Dr. Nancy Irwin. Dr. Irwin is an addiction therapist who specializes in uh, hypnotherapy, as well as other holistic approaches for treating addictive behaviors, sexual abuse, uh, recovery, and other traumas. Uh, Dr. Irwin is also the author of U-Turn, Changing Direction in Midlife, and, uh, which is a collection of over 40 stories of people over 40 uh, who have made amazing transitions in midlife. 
Uh, Dr. Irwin's also been featured in a wide variety of media outlets, including CNN, CNBC, Fox, MSNBC. Um, Dr. Irwin, you have a, a, a plethora of information in the bio here, so uh, I'm going to let you go into a little more detail about it because you can probably tell a little bit more about your uh, experience and uh, projects you're working on yourself. But first, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking the time today uh, to sit in with us. Well, thank you so much, Shane. It's a pleasure to be here. This is a very worthy cause. I, I appreciate it. You know, I I honestly could say um, there's there's no agenda in this platform other than providing some some great content and hopefully some resources for those out there listening uh, to to help them. So um, I appreciate that. So tell us uh, tell us a little bit about yourself um, and uh, and and what your background is. Ah, well, I'm originally from Georgia, like you can't tell. (laughs) (laughs) I moved to New York City in 1985 to become a stand-up comic. Really? And uh, oh yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I had a modicum of success. I don't know if you've ever heard of these people, but uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Ray Romano, you know, nobody yeah, knows. No, I, I don't, I don't yeah. think I've ever heard of those guys. No, I have no exactly. idea. <laughs> Maybe one day they'll make it. <laughs> I just, uh, speaking of that, I just watched um, uh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld did, he went back and revisited the first comic club that he did in New York City. My wife and I had watched it. I know it well. About, I, I was, stood on that stage and worked out many times. No way. I, that's yeah. what I was going to ask. That was my next question. Yeah. So was that the spot that you started? I, I don't remember the name, but... It was the comic strip on the Upper East Side. It's a great club. I did work there. I also worked at Stand Up New York and the Boston Comedy Club, the New York Comedy Club, the Improv. Um, yeah, all of them. And that you start really off cool. working, yeah, anywhere. <laughs> it's a tough business, yeah. huh? Well, I, I did well. I ended up working in about 36 of our 50 states wow. and a couple of international tours. So I did okay. That is awesome. Um, it was a good working comic, but I moved to, to L.A. in 1994 because I heard Hollywood needed more blondes. <laughs> Worked at, I was staffing C at the improv there. And, you know, when you're a comic, you only work about 30 minutes a day. So I was pretty bored, had a lot of time yeah. on my hands. Yeah. So I started volunteering for uh, a community shelter for sexually abused teens. Hmm. It absolutely waked up the healer in me. And, uh, you know... For me, comedy was me being a stand-up is the solo activity. It's you're naturally narcissistic because it's all yeah. about you. <laughs> yeah. So it just really underscored. Oh my God, there are people out there in the world who are strung out. They're pregnant by their pimps. These kids, they're suicidal, and I'm worried about my hair and who's in the audience to see me and get me a sitcom. Huh. So yeah. It, really waked me up and I thought there's something else I'm meant to do. So I went back and got my doctorate in psychology and voila. Yeah. That's um you know that's kind of it's kind of neat to think that your background in comedy and you had a career in comedy and then you you kind of dive almost head first into into um into treatment and treating you know kids who are sexually abused which is I mean god like I mean thank you for the work that you're doing number 1 and um number 2 I guess what I'm getting at with, with the background in comedy is it's such a serious and it's such a a, a deep topic um you know, uh, the, the, that, that type of, uh, of work, have you been able to incorporate some of the lightness in the comedy? And, and, and I'm not, so let me, I don't really know how to phrase this right without saying, I, I you know, know <laughs> yeah. So let, let me just stop right there. Then I'll kind of let you take over if you, if you understand what I'm saying, like, how do you do that? Well, when appropriate, yes, humor yes. helps. 
it's naturally healing. In fact, with the topic we're speaking about today, drug addiction, this is one of the modalities that I use to help people heal. It may sound crazy, get off heroin with humor, but I got to tell you, it is a natural modality for healing. Yeah. It steals your focus away from physical pain, uh, financial pain, or whatever else, the trauma that you're overcoming. That is one of many, of course. There are plenty other ways. But what happens when people get, not to shift gears, but um, talking about the opioid epidemic, what um, helps people get off of that you know, crazy train uh, and, and find a natural painkillers? When somebody's been on opioids for a long time, the body's natural painkillers give up. Yeah. They just throw yeah. up their hands and go, hey, you don't need us anymore. And so that's why it's so painful detoxing, yeah. among other reasons. So what we do is we incorporate and we strongly suggest, uh, in addition to non-narcotic pain relievers for those who need it, is natural healing techniques and of course the power of the mind is as powerful as any drug because look when you think about it human thought does exactly what a drug does it thwarts the message from the brain to the central nervous system to send more euphoria to block pain etc yeah. one can learn to do that with the power of the mind easier said than done yeah, but but, it, but it's but it but it's but it is possible, and I and I think that um, what is the element that that you see with people coming in who actually want the help versus people who are coming in um, who maybe have been uh, placed there, forced there by a court system, or I mean, what, what what's the difference between that? Well, of course, it works best, and those have more longevity with sobriety if it's their own choice. Yeah, We certainly have a great percentage of people who come in, it's been a family intervention, or they're court-mandated. And we try to work with them and point that out, that it's got to be their choice. Yeah. I mean, of course, we want them to follow the law and avoid jail or whatnot uh, and please their family, but it's got to come from them. And so one technique that I use is we make a list of what's really important to you. Yeah. And it's got to be more important to be healthy and have a great life, family life, job, et cetera, whatever your goals are, than to avoid temporary pain or to seek that pleasure and have the euphoria. Now, I, you know, over 52,000 overdose deaths, I think it was in 2015, um, you know, the, the numbers don't lie. Obviously, there's a huge problem in, in the country with it. Um, I don't know that there's any right answer uh, to this, so I'm, I'm not asking you for that. But in your opinion, um, you know, to put it blunt, I mean, what, what can we do about that? Like, what do we well, yeah, I think there's a lot we can do. And Shane, I've done a lot of interviews about the opioid epidemic recently, and I swear to God, every time I do one, the numbers are increasing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's shocking. I mean, yeah. just even two weeks ago, the numbers have skyrocketed since then. And I think now, the latest count with the CDC, they tell me it's about 33,000 per year. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. And that's that's just, uh, that's for opioids alone, right? About 33,000? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. unbelievable. Now, alcohol, it's about 88,000. And uh, ironically, with smoking cigarettes, it's about 480,000 per year that we lose. So we do have to have perspective. I know, I know. Yeah. And usually, have with opioids, of course, smoking yeah. is longer, you know, it's stretched out over many decades most of the time. Yeah. But you know, these are all, you know, addictions are a serious, serious thing. But I like to see people get addicted to something that is positive. Yeah. So, again, 
getting back to the natural painkillers that we're all equipped with from birth, if we're blessed to be born with a normal, healthy body, we have these magical things called endorphins. And there's lots of ways to release those in a natural way. We already hit on laughter as one thing. Go to a comedy club, rent a, a Chris Rock special, <laughs> or Kevin Hart, or Robin Williams, even though he's passed away, sadly, but his work lives or whoever your favorite comic is, and just laugh your butt off. That will definitely release endorphins. Yeah, yeah, definitely. move your body. Physical exercise, of course. Anytime you move. Look, human beings are meant to move. Years ago, if we didn't move, we didn't eat. So we yeah. need to move, and that releases endorphins. Of course, being out in nature, anything beautiful that's around you, sports, um, animals, children, if you like them, being in the water, in the ocean, it's naturally healing. Yeah. In the hot bath, uh, meditation, self-hypnosis, all of these things, uh, making love, all of these things yeah. are naturally healing. The, the creative arts, of course, if you play an instrument or you sing, it doesn't matter if you suck. The point is to <laughs> rest yourself and get those endorphins working for you. Yeah. And that's going to dial down the pain. I don't care what the source is, even if it's, you know, arthritis or some excruciating pain. Being active and expressing yourself and being in a state of joy somehow is definitely going to help you. Yeah, no, it's such a great point. And you're finding that alternative uh, wavelength almost to, to connect with. I know for me, uh, I'm a musician. I love to play guitar One of the and, and sing and write. And what, one of the things I, I had struggled with myself was um, a lot of the a lot of the time I spent writing music and playing music and recording music, I was high when I did. And so when I got sober, the transition, I still love to play music, but it was a different experience for me uh, to do it sober. And so I almost had to relearn it. And I'll tell you what, it is 10 times better when I sit down now and have a little fun and play a guitar with my son or with, a, sure. with my brother-in-law or one of my buddies. Um, and it is very therapeutic. Um, so there's all types of different, uh, you know, different things that we can do, but how do we, how do we take somebody who, um, is really in the trenches of that addiction and start to introduce them to maybe something that they were passionate about as a kid that they can kind of rekindle in their spirit and find again. It's usually pretty easy to ask people those questions because everybody loves something or they did when they were a kid. Yeah. And it may be hard to think of it in the moment when they are in excruciating pain and they have a lot of anger and maybe some unresolved trauma, which is a huge thing to work through. Yeah. Yeah. But most people open right up. If you ask them, you know, what did you love to do as a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up? Even if it was something that seems unattainable, like an astronaut or a cowboy or whatever it is, yeah. that is a place to start. You can study Wild West history without being a comic. You can do something with the space program without becoming an astronaut. But it's exploring something that you are passionate about. Because here's the deal. You can't really focus on two things at once. Yeah. We all think we can multitask. And we know what happens when we try to do that. We usually end up half-assing everything, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Good it's point. a wonderful goal to learn how to monotask. So it's focusing on one thing. And even if you are in excruciating detox symptoms, focus on that. Yeah. If you try not to focus on it or cover it up, it's going to it's gonna be exacerbated. Yeah. So I have yeah. people just sort of face it and accept it and know that it is finite. And then it does begin to pass. Yeah. And there are plenty of ways to help that. We don't say cover it up, but we do help hasten it. Yeah. 
Well, you, you, you mentioned trauma um, uh, definitely once and maybe maybe even twice since we first started chatting. And, and one of the things I've kind of experienced and, and, and learned about in my own recovery is, um, you know, that the, the alcohol, the drugs w- was really, um, you know, that was my that was my tool to deal with all of the all of the things that I had never dealt with in life. So um, or, you know, my past or, or my present you know, uh, experience at the time. Um, how important is that when you're getting in there and you're starting to work with, uh, with somebody, um, in, in, in trying to help them understand that, you know, yes, they, they, they may have a problem with, with drugs, with alcohol, um, you know, but there, there's more to it than that, I guess. It's, it's a <laughs> life experience, oh, you know, of course. look, who would choose to be a drug addict or an alcoholic? Yeah. Uh-uh. I, I, I didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I want to be a drug addict. No. Yeah, exactly. Everyone, there's a positive intent behind every bit of human behavior. And that was the best you could do at the time to deal with whatever extraordinary pain you had in your background. So 90 to 95% of our clients are trauma-based. Yeah. So when you get to the root of what, um, if you get to the root of the why, then the how of getting off the addictive cycle is infinitely easier. And you give yourself permission, you forgive yourself for choosing that coping mechanism. It was probably the only thing you had at that time. Yeah, yeah. So you work through this, and this is exactly what drew me into this field. I'm maybe, maybe this, not phrasing this right, but I'm fascinated with trauma, or actually I'm fascinated with how resilient the human spirit is. Yeah. So yeah. working in the field of trauma and recovery from that is my life's passion. And of course, unfortunately, that is pretty much, like I said, the whopping majority uh, of addictions. Yeah, is it is it hard for you, um, you know, de- dealing with certain situations? I mean, I'm sure you, I'm sure you see a lot of heartbreaking things in the work that you're doing. How do you kind of, how do you how are you able to separate that, um, you know, and not not bring it home with you? Exactly. Well, we are trained in the field to sort of change hats. And Mm -hmm. I literally close the door on my office when I go home. Mm -hmm. And I've become a master at (laughs) self-care. So I do all those things we talked about earlier. I watch a lot of comedies. I get a lot of massages. Um, I work out a lot. I have a lot of other interests and, and positive people and things that remind me that life is good and that there is recovery. Yeah, yeah. I notice a, a lot of a lot of the um, recovery programs out there that I've um, you know that I've come in contact with or met or, or people that are involved in it. They're really incorporating uh, a, a really main focus on exercise, whether it's boxing or or, or, or running or uh, lifting weights, whatever it is. I know I know that's that's a that's a part of my recovery too, trying to stay active. I guess. Um, yep. And you talked about that earlier. Those endorphins, in, in a sense, you're, you're kind of getting that that natural high from being able to do that versus, uh, you know, shooting dope or something. It's a little bit better for you, I think. Absolutely. Everyone who's listening can just think of one peak experience. And it may be a long time ago. Maybe it was one when you won an award in Little League, or it may have been, you know, when you did a great speech or you graduated college or you had your first baby. Everybody's got some sort of peak experience. And if you could just think about that, if you can recall, and I hope you were sober at the time you got it, and just remember, just think about that day, that moment, how you felt in your body, who was around you. You can probably remember what day of the week it was, what the weather was like, what you were wearing. Yeah. All these details sort of get frozen in our memory in a positive situation like that, just like they do in a traumatic one. 
But if you can get in touch with that and recall that, then you know what your body and your mind are capable of. And you start doing things that can give you that sensation again. Work in that field or study something or play Little League, whatever was that made you feel so fulfilled and self-expressed and everybody's got something like that they can relate to no totally and you're you're right on point there and i want to give the listeners a quick example of that when i was a kid my grandfather used to take us backpacking every year we'd go up to the marble mountains up by in wairica the oregon california border and we'd take a week-long trip as i went into my teens I started getting in trouble and, and, and going down that path. And it wasn't until uh, about two, two years ago, I finally said, you know what? I want to get back into backpacking. And, and we, we've taken a couple trips then. And it's brought back a lot of those same feelings and those same, um, that euphoric sense of not just being out in nature, but almost um, feeling like a kid again. And it's been really, really big in, in my recovery. Absolutely. And what you're doing when you can... Uh, recreate that mentally in the moment when you need to draw from that wellspring of comfort and joy and exhilaration. What you're actually doing is self-hypnosis. Really? Absolutely. And you're reminding yourself that life is filled with, with wonderful moments. And if you can recreate those, whether in your mind or in reality, it's going to lessen the desire to harm yourself, yeah. which underneath that you're trying to help yourself cope, of course, yeah. but ultimately you are harming your body when you do that. So what, what are some things that you're working on uh, today, Dr. Irwin? Anything in particular, any projects or, um, or, or anything that you'd like to, uh, to talk about? Well, we do at Seasons work with all sorts of addictions, of course, alcohol and all substances, and frankly, we are seeing a lot more opiate um, the pain, the prescription painkillers now yeah, more yeah. than ever before. Of course, they're just swelling, and and these are people who, um, of course, they were prescribed these. They had either post surgery or sports accident, or sports injury, and no other history of drug abuse, and all of a sudden they get hooked. Yeah, and they run out, and maybe some other things are going on in their life, and it just is too easy to try to doctor shop or end up buying it on the street. Fortunately, there are we're living in very exciting times where there are a lot of people who care about this issue. Yeah. And there is a thing called the prescription monitoring system, which you may have heard of, uh, prescription monitoring program, which links pharmacies and healthcare providers to prevent overuse and dependency. So it is getting much harder for people to doctor shop and, and get the Oprah prescriptions. Yeah. But unfortunately, they end up going to the black market, they buy it on the street, or they cut to something cheaper, which is heroin or fentanyl or something else on the street. Yeah. So again, the awareness is really, really increasing, and so are the treatment modalities. We, of course, strongly encourage people to inner therapy any way that they can. Maybe it's with a a spiritual counselor or a school nurse or a 12-step program or a a treatment facility near you to really get a hold of it before it gets a hold of you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, 
this one of the things I wanted to ask you, it's almost for my own selfish reasons, but I'm just going to roll with it because I think it's super interesting. And I think other people might find it interesting, too, is um, I I know you're a specialist in neuro linguistic programming. And I just want want to hear a little bit more about that. And um, and 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 I have a general understanding of it. But can you go into a little more detail about how that how that works? Absolutely. NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, is pretty much what the title would um, indicate. It's your neural pathways can change with the words that you use to program your mindset. We're naturally programmed from birth by those around us. And I don't just mean caregivers, parents, but also teachers, the media, our peers, they're in social. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are tons. Really, it's mass hypnosis all around us. Yeah, no one gets through life unscathed. You're gonna begin to get plugged into some limiting negative beliefs about yourself, also some positive ones. Mm -hmm. But what you want to do to be more realistic, instead of feeding into the negative limiting beliefs, for example, I'm a hopeless drug addict. I'm always gonna relapse. Nothing's gonna help me, which is a very common belief. I'm sure you've seen, and maybe you were caught up in. And we certainly see that. We want to change that programming while respecting the addiction, of course. We want to change that to plenty of people have gotten and stayed sober. And I'm going to be one of those. I see. I'm going to do whatever action steps it takes. So our words truly create our world. And what they do is they set up new neural pathways in the brain, just like a wagon uh, we'll have a rut in a muddy road. Uh-huh. The wagon wheel will have a. The brain does that. It has all these, you know, billions of neural pathways. You want to map over the old ones. That's how habits occur because you go right back into the old pattern, not Got just it. a behavior, but the thought drives the behavior. So we want to give your brain new messages, new programming for success. Yeah, that's su- that's super interesting, and and the. I guess the light bulb went off for me, uh, you know, it's been a while now, but uh, when I finally figured out the word TV programming <laughs> and I went, wait a minute, because you mentioned, you know, media, all types of things that surround us, not just our parents, but there's all types of programming out there. The things that we're taking in are really creating and um, they can shape our, our reality, the, our thoughts in, in a sense on, on the daily basis. So um, I think for me, that's why I'm constantly trying to surround myself with positive people versus people that might not be so positive because that tends to reflect my own attitude. Um, Absolutely. And the the environment you put yourself in is a hypnotic suggestion hmm. through the visual stimulation, not just the words, but everything. How many people start using and all of a sudden they start, quote unquote, looking like a drug addict? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Because that is a hypnotic suggestion. It's subliminal sometimes, but they took that and they start wearing that label and monkey see, monkey do. So when you when you talk about a label, because um, when when you hear people say I'm an addict or I'm an alcoholic, what's your take on that? Like for me, I, I've always kind of struggled with that. And I'm not saying that I don't have a problem or that somebody out yeah. there listening might not have a problem, but I tend to kind of lean more towards I, you know, I, I have a I have a problem with with uh, with addiction in general, right? Um, yeah. What do you think about labeling like that? What's your take on that? 
I agree with you completely. And uh, while at Seasons Recovery Centers, we're not um, a 12-step program, but we certainly offer that to people that do. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, whatever works for you, of course, we're willing to support that. And the 12 steps have saved incredible amounts of uh, numbers of people from all sorts of addictions for decades now. Yeah, yeah. That being said, I do have one little caveat I would like to add to step one. <laughs> because step one is people, they encourage people to live into a label. I'm powerless over alcohol or heroin or sex or food or whatever the addiction is. Mm -hmm. And my take is you may be powerless once you have one drink because you're turning on your genetic switch and then you have to have eight or 12 or whatever. Yeah. But you are powerful enough to resist it and move on and make another choice. Yeah, that's a good so point. I agree with you completely. I don't, I don't like labels. I mean, I prefer when people say I have suffered or I have struggled with an addiction, but they start speaking about it in the past yeah. or at least in the progressive tense. So they're moving toward a state of health rather than feeling I'm hopeless and I always will be. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I am. Um, I. Well, if if. If someone out there, uh, and we've got a couple minutes left, I want to be respectful of your time, Dr. Irwin, uh, and thanks again for coming on today. Um, if, if someone out there listening, uh, maybe themselves, maybe a family member, they're, they're really struggling right now, um, you know, what, what, what advice can you give them? I would encourage the person, the last thing you want to do is tell someone what they have to do or that they're bad or to shame them. That doesn't work that only makes it worse. It's like dealing with a toddler or a juvenile, and I'm not demeaning anyone, but that's the mindset. People are very resistant to someone telling them what to do. Yeah. What you want to do is say, set a healthy boundary. Unfortunately, I can't be around you if you're behaving this way. Um, I hope you'll get clean. You know what the, You know what the consequences are if you do continue this, but I trust that you'll make the best decision for yourself. That's the healthiest thing you can say because that gives them the power to make their own choice. Well, and, and what about for the for the person that's struggling themselves out there right now that maybe they know that they they know that something's not right. You know, they know that they're not they're not feeling right. They know that they may have a problem. They're just not really sure sure what to do. Well, there are plenty of um, websites where you can go to and take assessments doesn't hurt anyone and it's free to go into any sort of 12-step program and just mm -hmm. see if you relate if you can relate to some of the stories you hear doesn't hurt to read one of the big book it doesn't hurt to read any books about recovery doesn't hurt to talk to some of your family members and say hey you know me pretty well what do you think yeah usually they will give you feedback it's not a time for criticism or shaming again but for realistic helpful feedback absolutely and then of course maybe call a treatment talk to your doctor and see what might be the best plan for you if you're one of these people who can moderate with alcohol um, and it's a, a sorting process of seeing what's gonna work for you Yeah, that's good um, rule 62 uh, one of my favorites. Don't take yourself so damn serious. With your with your background in comedy, come on, you got to have a a, a a recovery joke. Any recovery jokes you can share with us? <laughs> oh wow! Well, 
usually the one where people hear I was a comic in the background. I just say, hey, look, and now I'm a shrink. <laughs> I'm like, the road from comedy to mental health is very short indeed. Yeah, yeah that's funny. That's good stuff. <laughs> um, uh, Dr. Irwin, so if anyone wants to reach out to you, they want to get more info about you, uh, uh, where can you go? Yeah, social media, website, uh, what can you leave them with? Yep, Dr. Nancy Irwin, and that's with an I. I-R-W-I-N, uh, it's just DrNancyIrwin.com, or they can go on SeasonsMalibu.com. All my info is on there, and uh, my phone numbers are on my own website, so it's I'm easy to find. Google me. All right. All right. Dr. Irwin, thanks so much for coming on Sober Guy Radio. I, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for the work you're doing. Uh, keep it up, and uh, let's, uh, let's stay in touch. Awesome. Thank you, Shane. God bless. Thank you. Thank you. You too.